Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 383 on Tuesday, the 23rd of February, 2021. Hello, I'm Andrew. Hello, I'm Richard. And thank you for joining me, Richard. This week, where I've gone quack, quack rather a lot, we'll be discussing what is the most depressing way for a racetrack to retire. We'll also ask what is the Swedish for the spy who loved me. And we go on another virtual exploration. But first, there is three bits of follow-up. And I will start with Jaguar Land Rover because we were only discussing that last week. But we didn't have much detail, but we did note the language that was used. Jaguar Land Rover have now confirmed that they will cut 2,000 non-factory jobs. Now, it was discussed that it would be non-manufacturing that would go, but they've given, they've put a figure on it now. And this is from the global workforce, and that's over the next year. And that's part of their restructuring drive. So again, they reiterate, uh, there will be no impact on hourly paid manufacturing employees. So that's very precise language, which, <laughs> and that's Jaguar Land Rover employees. So that's not, that won't be the contracted in from external companies and anything like that. So it, it doesn't look as bad, but basically they have to lose jobs in their reimagination. There's, there is no other way around it, is there really? No, so the shop floor people are in effect safe is what they're saying, I think. Yes, as long as you are employed directly by JLR. Mm. So the um, it's not contract people, but it's 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 like the short term to fill up shifts and stuff like that, where where people are brought in by external companies. But there we go on to our second piece of follow up, Richard. Yeah, and this is the news that Mitsubishi could restart European sales. Which have they, they could start building finished yet? <laughs> I can't remember um, if they've actually no, I don't know. they're due to finish. <laughs> no, this autocar story says that it's on the verge of reversing its decision to exit Europe. There's talk of possibly building cars in France, which will be obviously one of the Renault plants. Yeah, because of the, the whole Rebel Alliance tie-in and um, with Renault doing such large restructuring themselves, talking of restructuring, uh, they will have, or it is it is expected for them to have capacity in their factories. So therefore, rather than have to make people redundant, if they can help out a partner brand, this would kill two birds with one stone and be positive. Mm-hmm. It does say that, that the UK UK re-entry is most likely off the table, which would be yeah. a shame, I think. I would imagine tariffs and that sort of stuff, because the cars will be built in France, mm. just make it, it, it just tips it over the edge to being unviable for them. Mm. Mm. Which is a shame, because they, they have quite a large, or they had quite a large corner of the, definitely the pickup market, that's for sure. Well, and the Fev market here as well with the Outlander. Which yeah. has also been just been relaunched last week, I think. Right. Well, the final bit of follow up is to do with clean air zones. And we return to Bristol. And if you remember, last time we were talking about Bristol, it was in the guise that the government had said, Oh, hang on, chaps, banning all diesels is perhaps a little bit extreme. Could you go away and think about it again, please? <laughs> so Bristol has gone away and thought about it, and they've apparently selected an option that was 
that's been on the table all the way has been suggested from the very beginning, which was uh, called the Clean Air Zone D. I think we worked out that they were up to numbers and letters uh, in their options for ideas. Now, there's an article linked here called B247, which is when you when you read it, I think you will feel that perhaps it is lining up leaning towards the Green Party's position on this in the way that it has been written. I do do like the uh, second sentence. It will save lives, exclamation mark. Yes. I feel that this is almost as though someone's just lifted a Facebook post and said, right, we'll put that on the news website. Isn't that like all all local newspaper websites these days, though? Oh, Oh, one in Essex is terrible. What's different with this one is it's not banning all diesels because that's just lunacy, but it will actually, when you listen to some locals or on in the car corner of Twitter, it will actually impact two roads that are used by many people who are trying to skirt the city centre. They have been brought into the edge of the £9 a day charge for entering the clean air zone. And unless you take torturous routes on one end, which is the, uh, when you look at the the map that's in the article, inset B, you can avoid it just about, but you Mm. have no choice if you come in from the riverside or or more towards the park end uh, and down in inset A. You can't avoid but be drawn into the £9 to enter this tiny area that you're trying to avoid the rest of the the town. So this just doesn't help with the whole perception of clean air zones, that they are in fact merely a taxing system. It's not about clean air, because if it was to be, as we have repeatedly said on the show, there would be other ideas and other initiatives to try and help people not use a vehicle at all. But some of the fears, I think, that they that are outlined in this article, that areas surrounding the clean air zone will just become park and ride, unofficial park and rides and car parks, stuff like that. I don't think that's going to be the case because I think they'll find that either people use public transport if it's suitable or they just won't go into Bristol. Mm. And that's mm. where I, I think they'll lose out. They will, obviously, the the main aim is to get clean air. And I think they will do that because people just won't be visiting (laughs) yeah not more than once when you get stung and get the fine well and if you look at i think the the answer to your question about the leaning if you look at the uh byline at the bottom that should tell you oh yes of course yes (laughs) that that will explain everything yes i'm I'm glad i could pick up on the subtleties though before i got to there (laughs) (laughs) Subtleties or not quite so subtleties, yes. Talking of car parks, though, let's move on to the new news. Yes, one of Alan's favourite places, Rockingham. There are thousands of used vehicles currently being stored at the racetrack near Corby, many of which are former hire and ex-lease vehicles. I'm not sure how long they've been there. I mean, racing there ended in 2018, and having been there myself uh, probably before then, it was already starting to be used then for a logistics hub for various companies. So yeah. it seems to have been accelerated now by by all this. Um, and apparently, well, I'm trying to remember back when 
Alan killed Johnny the Yaris because I think that was the last organised motorsport to ish event that was on there. It was a bring your own day, mm. and I can't remember when that was. So I think it's about a year at least that it's been like shut to the public. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The picture on the on this BBC article, the third picture, no, fourth picture down first close-up one of the cars on the actual track itself reminds me of the very first issue of Top Gear magazine back in 1990, <laughs> where they had loads of cars on a track very similar yes. to this. It was the best. It was all the cars available in the UK at that particular point, one of each yeah. uh, model. And it, and it reminds me of that picture. Just because well, in, in this number. picture, it appears to be all the voxels that are available. <laughs> Yes, and the one, the one mocker in copper or orange mm. does um, stand out, doesn't it? It does, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's a that's an incredibly depressing way that a what should be a motor sport hub is being used. Unfortunately, such a shame they couldn't make that work. It is such a shame. Mm. Again, we will now move on to another article, and again, it's talking, but it's it's about not using a car, uh, and that is the news. <laughs> That drivers will be offered three thousand pounds, up to three thousand pounds, to ditch their cars for green travel credits, and that is that if they uh, agree to take their car off the or hand over their older and more polluting vehicle, they will get these credits to spend on. Uh, Options such as public transport, bicycles, electric scooters, car clubs, and taxis. Because it's an effort, and this is going to be trialed in a couple of areas. And the, f- the first area will be in Coventry, and it's going to be run by the, the City Council and West Midlands Combined Authority. This was rumoured a while ago, but it now looks like it's actually going to happen. So it's to try and get people to to do the stuff we've talked about on here quite a lot, which is really think about what is the best option for the journey you're going to take. Mm-hmm. Now, if you only live in a city and you only have to go a few miles and that's all you're ever going to do with the very occasional trip out to the airport, and you remember those things, um, I believe they'll be used again at some point. Uh, Rumour has it. Everything opens from the 21st of July, doesn't it? Or 21st of June, isn't June, it? June, free. June. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> Mm. as long as we behave between now and then <laughs> and the virus behaves more importantly wow, uh, yes. but you know it's getting to say the airport or if you happen to have your holidays in this country that is not a staycation everyone that is a holiday staycation is remaining in your own house or flat and doing things from there on your time off oh. <laughs> oh, that's interesting Anyway, where does the directive come from for this? Is it a government or Department of Transport initiated uh, thing that's been tried locally, or it's part of their um, just the general funding they've got to to encourage people to take more uh, ecologically uh, not sound. sound, but yeah, mm. I'm not sure what's that choices. But, but just it's it's just yeah, it's exploring the choices and realizing that the car isn't always the best way uh Mm. nor is it suitable maybe not just for the journey but for the side effects of using a car as opposed to as opposed to using say an electric an e-bike 
well, they'd just be called bicycles soon, but a, a bicycle or e-scooters wherever they're allowed, or maybe being part of a, a car club. Perhaps, I mean, I know I discussed this with Major Gav ages ago. I always thought this was a great idea. But if, say, villages had a car club where they had an electric car and that was shared around you know people contributed every week or every month a small amount and then they were then able to book the car for use for things like to go to the local town for shops and stuff like that because in more rural areas the bus service is i'll be kind here not optimum for people to make quick choices on doing something Mm. shall we say you know some plenty of places only get one bus a week so you know you can't plan your life around that very easily no. so it's it, it's maybe doing those sort of things but it's going to be trialed in coventry there's discussions for it happening happening in hampshire as well uh, where the um, county council is looking into that so i would be really interested to see how these are adopted because obviously it's going to be early adopter people who go for it and they'll be more savvy if they do choose it understanding what their choices are it's like with the first people who picked an electric car you know, they're, they're going to be outliers just by the fact that they're going for this early doors. So it's going to be really interesting to see how these people get on and and whether people go, actually, I only need the bike because what I did is I made sure all my shopping was delivered. I mean, I know we do that anyway, but as mm. things return more to normal and we, we go out whenever we want to, when we get back to that sort of lifestyle, it'll be interesting to see if people do keep certain aspects of how life has changed um and therefore traffic is reduced a bit oh yeah i think it's already making people think about things like that so so who knows it's just you know like on a a dreadfully cold and wet february going to work on a bike isn't going to be as attractive as jumping in your car or getting a cab or something like that so it'll be interesting to see how people balance out the the British weather with all this. Mm, mm. Anyway, let's go somewhere where it's colder. Ice cold, yes, we, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need our Swedish correspondent, but he's elsewhere tonight. And I'm not even going to, well, as you trailed it, try and learn what the Swedish is for just why I love me. Because, uh, well, <laughs> for, I'm learning French at the moment and that's that's hard enough. But anyway, <laughs> a, a Swedish tech consultant has been charged with espionage for allegedly selling information about Scania and Volvo cars, that is not trucks or buses, but truck maker Scania, to Russia that then put Sweden's security at risk, prosecutors have said on Monday of this week. Apparently the man was arrested in dramatic fashion uh, almost two years ago while having dinner in Stockholm. They've had him for two years and they've only just charged him. Or they're only just about to charge him. So this is all part of that. He was having dinner with a Russian diplomat who was... And if this is if this is put in the papers, then clearly it, this is what he, he was, but uh, suspected of being an intelligence officer. <laughs> Gosh, wow. And the prosecutor on Monday said that the guy who was arrested uh, received... Blimey. That's a job to get into. So it's 27,800 kroner, which equates to, we think, looking at the writing in this article, $3,355 or 2,770 euros. 
Yes, not so that's not an awful lot really for uh, what is called Sweden security at risk. Security. But this mm. does actually bring up an interesting um, an interesting thought to me. As mm. cars and vehicles become more connected and they start to speak to infrastructure more and more, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this is another attack vector to either get in on national infrastructure or to cause problems if you are so inclined and have found a way to do that. I mean, this will relate to another article in just a minute. But it also sort of highlights how uh, national security now is such a wide-ranging thing. It is not just about making sure planes don't fly over and bomb us or people land at beaches and march up with machine guns or you know submarines are hiding in our waters or anything like that. It is is the 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 tendrils of the effect that can be had upon a country from far away now and no violence needs to be undertaken to do it is is obviously one that the security services are aware of and worry about but with parts coming from so many different aspects or different parts of the country at the world and with from different countries that perhaps fall out of fashion or favor mm. with other countries. And we've seen the whole fuss over Huawei, 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 Huawei however you pronounce Huawei. it. Huawei. Huawei, Huawei uh, or not Hawaii, but the phone maker. <laughs> and we've seen how that quickly went from, look, we don't like your phones to there is no chance of you having any of your equipment in our 5G networks for this country, what happens if they've got chips inside cars and all the rest of it and the stuff that people fear that they will be beaming some of that information back to China and their um, security services or stuff goes to Russia, as we've seen with solar winds attacks. That's, that is so huge. And I'm not going to go into, cause it's not, not specifically relevant to car things, but that is, absolutely shocking how far that has got into everything uh, in the western world uh, and how long russia was in there just slurping up information and data and stuff so it just it just opens we 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 do have additional risks now mm, yeah and i think Spot you're... not here on this uh on this episode <laughs> because i've got to talk about this <laughs> no i think i think i yeah i didn't realize the car to x thing but yeah that's quite good or the or, or the vehicle tracks thing I mean, there aren't many cars that do it at the moment. I know the Golf 8 is capable. Um, but, yeah, as as that technology becomes ever more present, you know, cars talking to traffic lights and everything else, then, yeah, it could well be. A- I mean, already there's there's third-party companies boasting on their IPOs of how much information they're able to take from a connected car. Mm. Uh, and and how they can sell that on to other people, mm. and as we as users don't get an option about that. That's why I'm pleased I've got an old it. car. <laughs> yes, told you it's, it's going to be uh, crack windscreens, tinfoil hats, motors. Nothing, <laughs> nothing even has an OBD port. <laughs> That's how old we're going. <laughs> got to manually lock each door. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but yeah. So this this does open up real 
real potential problems for car manufacturers, particularly as plants are all over the world now to be at their local markets. So mm. it's, I'm glad I'm not in a position where I have to worry about this <laughs> more no. than just harping on about it on a podcast. <laughs> no, but you've got an, another story that is that does link into it, don't you? Yes. If, if you weren't worried enough, um, the EU has released a report that warns that AI makes autonomous vehicles, I'm quoting here, highly vulnerable to attack, apparently. So this comes from the European Union Agency of Cybersecurity, or ENISA, and they found that because of the nature of AI, and I'm not convinced that this is just an AI problem, but because of the nature of AI, they are high, uh, highly vulnerable to the wide range of attacks, and they they list a few things it could be dangerous for. It could be dangerous for passengers, pedestrians, and people in other vehicles. Uh, so they talk about attacks such as beams of light overwhelming their object detection system. So that would be LIDAR and uh, mm. radar and stuff like that. Back-end malicious activity. So that's just, that's just he says in inverted commas, that is like hacking into uh, the network that the car is on or into the car itself. Also, and this is a this is a great one for all the companies that are developing at the moment, adversarial machine learning attacks presented in training data or the physical world. Now, we know that training data has a real key part of algorithms and all the rest of it because we have seen a lot of education, understanding and awareness of how there is bias in training data for things like uh, algorithms that deal with people. The same problem is there for any training data for any, whether it's a machine or whether it's to deal with humans or whether it's a combination of the two. So then there's also um, there's like attacks from the physical world. So people generally breaking in and stuff like that. So a lot of these problems are not specifically for autonomous vehicles, I would suggest. They they are now possible on connected cars, particularly with the driver assistance technology we have. We've already seen it where some cars have been confused over uh, speed limit signs because people have put like, three little stickers in a sign and that's made the the reading software just fall over and go, oh, it's not that, it's, it's not 30 mile an hour, it's 60 mile an hour. Or whatever. There are huge implications to this, uh, but this is the problem that if you connect anything to the internet, you open up an avenue for someone to someone naughty to get in and do something horrible. Yeah, definitely. It's a scary place or scary thing. Well, that's it. I mean, what what the what the report has requested or suggested it happens is that there is a, a security focus from companies and an AI cybersecurity uh, in particular. They want them to come up with a cybersecurity protocol when a lot of these AI-backed autonomous vehicles don't actually have a safety protocol that they put out, that they are, well, they don't appear to because they don't produce this for review by anybody. So it it's another example of why I don't think we're going to see autonomous vehicles on the road, on public roads with normal human drivers anytime soon mm, yeah it would need to be an industry-wide thing almost law because there are so many companies making systems and components and yep. stuff that yeah yeah it would need to be a far-reaching thing to to work uh you have a little bit of sad news for us though i do bruce myers who invented the original beach buggy or conceived the original beach buggy 
has died at the age of 94. Now that's that's a vehicle that's completely the opposite of what we were, we were just talking about. <laughs> and I think Andrew and Richie's beach buggy emporium. I think, sort of <laughs> yeah, maybe, there you go. Yeah. In the 60s, certainly, I think it was 60s, it kind of established the, what it was, very California, wasn't it? Yeah, beach buggy on the beach. And um, I think most of them used beetle underpinnings and engines and stuff. And it was quite a quite a big thing in its day. It's been copied more than 300,000 times, apparently, apparently, according to this article in Top Gear, on the Top Gear website. He has sadly passed away. Uh, but I, I think the articles are great. It's from originally from December 2013 when they were uh, discussing the 50th anniversary of the Myers Manx. But I think it's just a great explanation of what he did and what the car meant and things like that. Because mm. for me, the the Grand Tour two parter where they went in the desert in the uh, in the beach buggies is one of my favourites that they've done. Uh, I just oh, love the that. the different ways they did it. I think it was from series two. Okay, but each of them each of them had their own beach buggy, and I just just really enjoyed it. I thought it was great fun because they they took different approaches, but it just it just showed how capable <laughs> these vehicles really are. If you're mad and go into the places they do, but just they just look a hoot. They just look an absolute hoot. Hmm. Mm. And of course, it inspired, or it was inspired from the Baja races in Mexico, and you do get the Beatles a bit like the. I think it was the the Tamiya Sandscorcher. I think that was a, a Baja bug because it had the off road tires and the yeah. exposed engine, and and these were very similar, but just a, a convertible body, and and yeah, it just look. As you say, it just looks like it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. So do click the link through and have a read of. A read of uh, what he got up to and how, um, how the car came about. But I think that is the end of the first part. So that means it's Guilt Minute, the quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel that the Motoring Podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. The different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. Lucky, lucky you. We also have a small range of merchandise available from our website and Teespring store, from stickers to mugs and T-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, and we completely understand that, believe me, then you can help us by subscribing for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released. You can also like and rate the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you, which does help us. If you've done all that, and some of you have, which so we thank you very much for your efforts there, then the last thing you can do is recommend us to your friends or colleagues who you think will enjoy the show. Right, Formula E, it's back this weekend. Double header, nighttime race, and it's on the BBC. So mm. for the whole of next season, it's going to be on the BBC, so it's free to watch uh, for the UK audiences. It will still be on Eurosport as well. But we get we get to see the the normal crew who we've we've come to expect. So I will be tuning in and actually seeing what a night night race in Formula E looks like. Will I be blinded by the lights? I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know uh, see what you did there. I don't know. <laughs> yes. And this is the last season of the second gen car, is it? Because it's yes. I think twenty two twenty three is the third gen car, isn't it? So yeah, it's the it's the gen three and the whole. If you leave us before the season ends, you pay us the full amount. 
yes that's right um incentive to stay as part of the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, take us to uh take us to some snow though please rich the cold place again for sweden now finland um this is the news that rally finland will start this weekend or i guess it starts thursday or friday um and yeah no yes rally finland yes yeah um yes it's replacing Um, rally sweden yes that's right i just i just read that wrong for a minute i think um yes there were there were 13 uh top flight wrc cars though for the first time since rally finland in 2017 including drivers like craig breen and you've got Oliver Solberg, who is the son of Peter Solberg, and who the last year or two has been driving Polo GTI R5, but he's now switched to the top tier Hyundai team, yep. and he is aboard a open coupe. Um, so yeah, they'll all be battling out, battling it out in the forests in Finland. Mm-hmm. Um, shakedown Friday, stages on Saturday. And Sunday, and the whole distance is 532 miles. Yeah, the actual racing is 156.01 miles. As Indeed. long as you stay on the uh, on the track, it might be Indeed. longer if you. I <laughs> imagine that's closed to spectators. Yes, that's because of that. They all cars going out have to have winter survival kits because okay. if they get stuck, they're going to have to wait until the support crews can get to them. Because nobody, the, the crowd won't be there to just shove them out the snowbank and things like that. Uh, that makes sense. That so, makes sense. Uh, in the Dirtfish article, which is excellent as ever, it will also have the running order of who's doing what and when. So, uh, do go and read that before the rally starts. Mm-hmm. Right. Our lunchtime read is from Chris the Pollitt on the not too grand. Now he wrote this or published this just a couple of days before the government announcement. And he's, and he's titled it, things can only get better. And he's basically talking about, look, we will come out the other side of this. We're all feeling it now. Definitely (laughs) in lockdown three. This is, this is, this has become a tough one for many reasons. So, Things will get better. We will be able to meet up again. We will be able to show off our wonderful stroke, crazy stroke, mad cars. We will be able to chat to people again and all the rest of it. Just keep going. Car Twitter's done a fantastic job in all three lockdowns. I've been incredibly touched by how supportive and there for everyone Car Twitter has been. Um, and it's it's a great credit to everybody that we have actually, most of us have have kept have kept our heads up, and then we've helped out those who have had a struggle or two. So do go and read this. It's a great article. Uh, and thank you, Chris, for being uh, quite positive, because that's that's a very good thing at the minute. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, I'm going to take us to the list of the week. And this is from Petrol Blog. It's been a while since we've had a Petrol Blog list of the week. And 10 of the best, the French cars of Conarchy, Conakery. <laughs> even if I could Con- pronounce things. Conakry. And Conakry is Guinea's capital in Africa. Now, why would we want to go there when the government's travel advice has things that we should be aware of, such as violent carjackings, kidnapping, extortion, criminal gangs, robberies, 
and trading scams are, as Gavin puts out, just some of the issues affecting the African port. <laughs> but what, why, why we've got it is he's got these superb list of uh, or bunch of pictures that just so show some of the cars that are there, and it's great. Uh, Richard, do you happen to have a particular picture stroke car that has caught your eye? I do. There are many, many Peugeots here. Um, but I think my favourite one of all is, oh, I've just seen a, a pristine blue Clio, believe it or not. Um, not one Clio. But until then, my favourite was the lime green Peugeot 309 that is either parked on some rubble or had a very nasty accident. Perched. Sure which. Perched. Perched. <laughs> With white steel wheels, it looks like. Hmm. And what about you? Oh, for me, it's, uh, I think it's probably the large uh, 504 estate with turbo across oh. the the rear side windows and the roof rack which just makes me think that could go anywhere that could apart from the bonnets up at the moment yeah just that's over that that's almost a poor script as well that's amazing yes and and it looks like they've sprayed the steel wheels whilst on the tire oh yes but it could just be the sunlight and the um, general muck and dust. the same same color as the bottom of the doors and the bumper so I think you might be right. They've just yeah. gone all the way across. <laughs> or it was particularly muddy. <laughs> well, yeah. But yes, do do run through this because you will see some absolute crackers in here. Oh, there's some this yeah. is taking me back in time, some of these. There's a lot of yellow, I'll say that. Yes. Which is uh, no I bad presume thing. the cabs, they're cabs. Yeah, yeah. And a very pepperminty greeny or turquoisey greeny. Vectra as well, or Cavalier as it was in our day yeah. over here. Right to our hand gonna... finally, and this this was just so. This is I, I've had to keep this for Richard. So take us through it, Richard, please. Uh, if, thought... if this doesn't actually make you wince to have to discuss this, <laughs> no, no, no. I I saw it and I thought it was amazing. Actually, car maker or or UK car maker fifteen eleven design has reimagined you know, a bit like Singer does a Porsche 914 using the engine and the and the gearbox from the second generation Cayman S. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, the car is, just exists you know, virtually. But going by the pictures, it looks absolutely cracking. It's 3.4 litre, 300 horsepower, flat six. And of course, the original 914 or 9146 had a flat six from the old 911 that was contained of its time, but it was nowhere near as powerful as this. I think it was about 110 horsepower. So this is lots more. But the Cayman donates everything: suspension, architecture. The car has Bembo brakes and adjustable coilovers, carbon fiber panels. It looks amazing. Yeah, they're sort of rebodying, aren't they? They're rebodying yeah. almost. Yeah, but it looks from the picture, it looks properly in proportion and, and everything. There's Slight elements of 916 to it. And what's interesting, I find, is that you can spec it left or right-hand drive, which, of course, the original 914 was left-hand drive only, unless mm. you bought a, a Crayford conversion, of which there only, are only about nine of them. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's great. Yeah, they look... look the renderings look like they've tried to keep the angle of the A-pillars and the shape of the windscreen very, very close. Obviously, it's larger and things like that. The only thing I 
this is I'm being incredibly picky, have a slight problem. Is the headlights or where mm. what would be the side light and indicators on the original? Mm. I'm mm. just not a fan of uh, sort of dotted LEDs in those areas. I, I understand it will you'll be able to see wonderfully because the the, the light technology is fabulous. But I just I would have preferred, and I bet you can spec it because these things are so customizable. But I just a, like a glass fronted bit to that. Yeah, to yeah, it more match the original. Well, I think, but they don't. They can't have the pop up headlights, unfortunately. So they're having to do. A, they're having to do a lot of heavy lifting in that area. I get that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from that point of view, I mean, like, yeah, I think a cover would be good on them. But from that point of view, the um, you know, I think in keeping with current Porsches, who have the, you know, the four or six or eight, yeah, uh, square lights at the front. So I think from that point of view, it's quite in keeping. But yeah, I. Yeah, they're pop-up headlights. I hadn't actually noticed that. You're right. <laughs> and I read a book about them. Dear me. <laughs> Talking of which, Richard, where can people get a copy of your book? Uh, it's on the Crowwood Press website. Um, it's on Amazon. There were co- there were copies on eBay. And it's called the Porsche 914, An Enthusiast Guide. And it's still available, to my knowledge. Excellent. I will hunt a link out. It may be, a, it may be an affiliate link, but there will be a link. Thank you very much. Not at all. Not at all. So yes, do click through on the link on this Top Gear article because I think, I think they've really done a good job of matching what the the nine one four was in terms of looks. I think I think it's a cracking cracking effort. If they can pull that off in real life, I think that would be really mm, good. Mm. I also like on here on the first picture that comes up on on that story, they've put the car in front of the grandstand at. Now I've got to say this wrong, I'm sure. Reem or Rhyme, Reem in France, because that's where mm. we went in the summer. So that's very recognizable. Um <laughs> and yeah, it's just very cool, I think. I think our colour's lovely. That that deep metallic sort of satiny, almost mm. satiny colour. I think they kind of work best when they were the seventies colours that really popped. Like the lime green or the yellow or the orange or but yeah. I'm too much of wanting to hide. You see. Oh, so. I'm not sure I buy one in that colour, but <laughs> they certainly appeal more. <laughs> you know, I've got a silver car, so uh, I'm clearly uh, don't want to get noticed. <laughs> right, that's us for this week, though. But so, Alan should be back next week. But thank you for joining me, Richard. Uh, really do appreciate you stepping in and joining me, so I wasn't all on my own. Some and the the listeners didn't just have to listen to me harping on about how dreadful connectedness is and you know, how we're all doomed. We're doomed. Uh, doomed. So thank you, thank you for offsetting that in some some little bit. <laughs> thank you for asking. Can I just say that Alan and I actually will be back on Monday on the March edition of Zoom Zoomers. Okay. Monday night at eight o'clock on the YouTube's. Yes, and if you don't make that, then the link will be to it in the next show's show notes. We always like to do that. Right, so don't forget between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. We're also on the Book of Face, and you can get to, in touch with us via the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. So don't forget as well. It would be awesome if you could leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Richard, what is the best way for people to get in touch with you? The best way for people to get in touch 
with me is Twitter, where I am at richgoodingcom. Uh, the best way for anyone to get in touch with Alan and say, where are you, is via Twitter. If you put in the name at AJP Bradley, that's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. I don't want it to miss out and get abused by people who listen for not spelling it out. And if you'd like to get in touch with me and tell me what a shocking job I've done on this show, you can search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter and you'll find me there. Uh, we'll be back very soon. But until then, I've been Andrew Clues. And I've not been Alan Bradley. And safe motoring.